Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Afterlife Explorers Book Club. I'm Bill Gleason, your host and literary curator, and I'm glad to have you back. Today, we're diving into the second part of Dr. Stafford Betty's book, The Afterlife Unveiled, What the Dead Are Telling Us About Their World. Dr. Betty has a PhD in theology, and he later became a professor of world religions at California State University, Bakersfield. The Afterlife Unveiled, which was written in 2011, is just one of many books he's written over the years. The Afterlife Unveiled dissects the communication of seven discarnate spirits who spoke through living mediums. The collective material channeled by these spirit communicators was enough to fill a number of books, and you can find a list of some of those books in the show notes. These spirit communicators included an Anglican minister and nun, a Lutheran minister, a young Texas musician, a Cambridge lecturer, a California judge, and the son of the Archbishop of Canterbury some quite prominent in their physical lives, others quiet and unassuming people. In the last episode, I shared some highlights of communication from Judge David Hatch from California, from Leslie Stringfellow, who died before he turned 21, and from a wise spirit who identified himself as Imperator. He and his group were channeled through an Anglican minister named William Stainton Moses, who was among the most gifted mediums in England in the 1800s. Turns out another spirit communicator featured in the afterlife unveiled, Frederick Myers, actually knew Stainton Moses when both of them were living. In his life on earth, Myers wrote poetry, he lectured at Cambridge, and later served as a school inspector who championed higher education for women. Myers met Moses in his later years, and both men helped found the Society for Psychical Research back in 1882. Myers was also the author of a much-acclaimed book called Human Personality and Its Survival of Bodily Death. Myers spoke through the early 20th century Irish medium Geraldine Cummins, the two started their collaboration almost exactly 100 years ago, and in this chapter, Dr. Betty examines the book called The Road to Immortality, which they collaborated on. Myers tells us there are seven planes that souls navigate through the afterlife. Now recall that the spirit imperator channeled through Stainton Moses told us that there were 21 spheres in the afterlife. So at this point, I found myself a bit confused by the apparent contradiction here among the spirits. Perhaps it's illuminated in the actual Frederick Myers book, but we don't really get a clue here. So how are we as afterlife explorers supposed to reconcile the two somewhat divergent spirit perspectives? Are there seven spheres or 21? Actually, I'm not sure we're even supposed to know or that we as humans are even capable of knowing. And as I thought more about it, I decided Perhaps it's best to focus less on the contradictions and more on the remarkable similarities among these spirit communicators. And then from those, each of us can assemble a personal framework that works best for us individually. Your system might be detailed and specific, or it might be more loose and flexible. 
Personally, I'm going with the more flexible framework that will allow me to go with the flow when it comes time for my own journey. I don't really want to run the risk of getting confused or stuck if reality were to collide with a more rigid mindset. All that said, Dr. Betty does present a summary of each of Frederick Meyer's seven afterlife planes. For example, Myers tells us that the first plane is actually a physical planet like our own, and it's followed by what he calls Hades. Now, although the word Hades conjures up hellish visions, at least in my mind, Myers actually described it as a place where he got some much-needed R&R. The place that Leslie Stringfellow described as Summerland, I introduced you to Leslie in the previous episode, is the third realm, if we're to believe Myers, who evidently spends a fair amount of time there. He reports that it's kind of a pleasantly familiar dream state where souls reenact scenes from their earthly lives, but with much greater mental clarity. Where souls go next, according to Myers, depends on our spiritual evolution. He tells us that we humans fit broadly into three categories, and he names those as the spirit man, the soul man, or the animal man. The animal man is not surprisingly pleasure-driven, so after a time in Summerland, he or she gets a bit tired of it, and they head back to Earth for another physical life. In fact, Myers tells us that he's going to go back to progress, so there's a good chance he'll incarnate as a soul man, or at worst, he'll be less of an animal. The soul man is made up of more evolved stuff, and when these souls get tired of the third plane, they head up to the fourth level with greater intelligence and ethics. Here they take on a different appearance, a subtle body, as Myers describes it, and the shape of this form reflects the soul's character. He says it might be hideous or beautiful beyond words, again, depending on the baggage that we bring with us. On the fourth plane, there's struggle and labor, sorrow and ecstasy, but not as we experience them on earth, but rather a spiritual experience. He tells us the work isn't easy, but it ultimately brings wonderful rewards. We unfortunately aren't told anything about the spirit man here. Perhaps it's implied when Dr. Betty briefly describes the remaining planes, planes which represent the more rarefied air of the spirit world. This is pretty deep stuff, and I'm going to stop here with respect to Frederick Myers because I don't have the time to do this material justice, and I still have some questions myself. So after reading this particular chapter, I decided to buy at least uh, one of the Frederick Myers books to learn more. I can absolutely see why Stafford Betty regards the Frederick Myers literature as one of the most fertile after-death communications ever produced. At multiple points in this book, I found myself saying, wait a minute, one of the other spirits said much the same thing. While each spirit communication in Dr. Betty's book is unique in its own right, the consistency of the material is not only remarkable, but evidence-affirming. Just one example of corroboration appears in the chapter highlighting the spirit communication of Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson, who lived from 1871 to 1914 and who channeled through the clairaudient medium Anthony Borgia. The Monsignor gives a fascinating take on the construct of the other side, 
telling us that the spirit world consists of a series of concentric circles with our earth near the center. The various spheres correspond in a broad sense with the nations of the earth, with each of the spirit subdivisions located above its earthly counterpart. Pretty much the way Leslie Stringfellow described the afterlife geography vis-a-vis our world. Both of these spirits also tell us about the existence of large, lovely cities in the afterlife. In chapter six, we learn about two British women, one still living at the time and the other in spirit, who collaborated to create the wonderful book called Testimony of Light. Frances Banks was an Anglican nun who died in 1965 and who soon thereafter connected with her earthly friend, Helen Greaves. Their collaboration is tender, heartfelt, and revealing, and it's entirely consistent with the accounts of other spirits whose teachings comprise Dr. Betty's book. She talks about attending her own funeral and the shock she felt when reviewing the plan she took into her earthly incarnation against what she actually accomplished. Helen also acknowledges reincarnation. She talks about living in a group soul, and she affirms that God doesn't stand in harsh judgment when we get to the other side. Rather, we ourselves are the accused, the judge, and the jury. In Francis's communication, we see yet another report that there are hellish places in the afterlife where unhappy souls live in squalid dwellings, but that there are scores of missionary spirits who frequent these dark alleyways offering rehabilitation. She even relates a story about accompanying other spirits to the stinky shack of a French painter who died violently and penniless. In the afterlife, his paintings are dark and repulsive, but Francis challenges him to infuse more color into his work and even coaxes him closer to the light. Testimony of Light is a wonderful book that helped launch my own spiritual journey, and it's one I heartily recommend to all of you afterlife explorers. In fact, Dr. Betty calls it a mind-blowing book. The last chapter in the Afterlife Unveiled focuses on the communication of Alvin Matson, otherwise known as A.D., who in life was a Lutheran minister and professor and whose after-death communication filled two books, Witness from Beyond and Evidence from Beyond. A.D. spoke through a median named Mar- Margaret Flavel or Flavel. She was born clairvoyant and graduated from the London School of Paranormal Psychology and Sanctuary of Healing. During World War II, she helped trace Air Force pilots who'd gone missing and achieved some success. A.D. and Margaret were not acquainted in the physical world. In some of the other spirit communications highlighted in Dr. Betty's book, we learned that the souls who were drug and alcohol addicted in their physical lives prefer to inhabit the spirit world's lower regions as well, where they can continue their lifestyles and take vicarious thrills by attaching themselves to those in the physical world who share their addictions. Matson tells us that these lower spheres also attract spirits who in life were underprivileged and undereducated and who otherwise didn't have an opportunity to grow and develop while in the physical world. In the afterlife, they prefer to stay more or less earthbound and are resistant to upward progress. We also learn in this chapter that there's life on other planets, although it might be much different than earthly life. Matson, who died in 1970, tells us that if we want to, and if we receive permission, we can choose to incarnate on another planet in another galaxy. 
In fact, Frederick Myers said that some of the animal man souls choose to reincarnate on other planets. So some consistency there as well. Dr. Betty tells us that A.D. Matson discusses reincarnation at length in his second book, Evidence from Beyond. Matson talks about his interest in helping souls who are about to reincarnate on Earth and says that he's in touch with them at about the second or third month of pregnancy. He describes our physical plane as a kind of a school for learning and growth, and he claims most spirits elect to return to an earthly life again and again. However, he tells us that spirits may decide not to come back for another bite at the earthly apple after uh, achieving a certain point in their spiritual growth. So that's a very brief overview of Dr. Betty's own synopsis of the teachings and wisdom of seven of the most well-known spirit communicators from the past century or so. This clearly couldn't have been an easy task for the author who must have sifted through thousands of pages to enlighten afterlife explorers like us. He did a great job, and I'd encourage you to read his book as well as the books channeled by these respective spirits. So what can a reader expect to conclude by reading The Afterlife Unveiled? Stafford Betty wraps things up with more than 40 conclusions, and that section alone I think is worth the price of this book. For purposes of this episode, I'll share just a few takeaways that resonated with me. The spirit communicators featured in the book are all unique personalities. Their mediums are likewise from varied backgrounds, and the communication was from very different times and places. However, the accounts weave a set of messages that are remarkably consistent, stunningly so, in fact. For example, the spirit communicators all agree that what happens to us in the afterlife is hugely affected by the type of individual we are in this life. Fame, wealth, power, they don't matter. It's all about love and handling our day-to-day earthly relationships and struggles with qualities like humility, kindness, honesty, grace, and dignity. That's what ultimately counts when we transition. Want a happy afterlife? Then we should all uh, uh, live our earthly life with as much virtue as we can muster. While some of us may be able to escape meaningful consequences in earthly life, we won't escape them in the afterlife. The facades we create in this physical realm are ripped away and the masks come off when we transition. The quality of light that our soul emits, and I think perhaps even its color, reveals our character. The type of dwelling we'll inhabit and the form and shape our soul takes are all reflections of our character in life. It's likely humbling and humiliating and difficult at times, but through spiritual advancement, it's clear that we can change and improve our condition. We shouldn't expect that the afterlife will suddenly transform us into a different personality than we were on earth. As Judge Hatch puts it, most souls are nearly as blind as they were in life. And while the afterlife has myriad opportunities to progress and learn through schools and loving teachers, the spirits tell us that relatively few afford themselves of the opportunities. With respect to the topic of reincarnation, this book just deepened my belief that it's definitely a thing. We come back again and again, and we can even give it a go on another planet. And despite the grand advancement plans we make with our spirit guides prior to reincarnating, many of us simply forget what we came back to learn, and we end up missing the mark. Others, like me, to be honest, have a bit of a clue, but nonetheless, we struggle to get it right. 
There seems to be agreement among spirits that their world isn't that far away, that it begins at about our Earth's surface and extends outward, with virtually every nation enjoying a spirit world counterpart. That said, there are likely many afterlife spheres, and after physical death, we gravitate to the sphere that's right for us, depending on our character, development, and deficiencies. We can't buy or negotiate our way into a more desirable afterlife home, and you can't arbitrarily cross a spiritual boundary to get to a better neighborhood. You got to earn it through hard work. There isn't a biblical hell per se, but there are regions in the afterlife that are hell-ish. Spirits tell us of gray landscapes, dense fog, funky and smelly shacks, and lots of bad behavior. Ultimately, the inhabitants of the underworld regions can choose to stay or ascend into the light. There always, always is a ready helping hand available should a desperate soul decide to face their demons and put in the work to change their ways. Regarding religion, the great religions of the earth plane share certain teachings that the spirits tell us are rooted in universal truth, but some promote a dangerous exclusivity and downright evil and barbaric behavior. As an amateur musician and someone who's always been musically powered, I was particularly excited to read in so many different chapters of this book that music has a special place in the spirit world. And just like spirits tell us there are colors in the afterlife that have never been seen by human eyes, the music on the other side is unlike any that human ears have ever heard. In nearly every account about music, the spirit communicator cannot find earthly words to describe it. A.D. Matson gives it a go, and he describes afterlife music as if it emanates from a moving organism. Music permeates spirit life to the point where one communicator tells us flowers actually exude music. Dr. Betty ties this book up nicely with an inspiring, thoughtful narrative that you'd expect from a wonderful teacher. Because none of us can be absolutely certain that these teachings actually came from a discarnate spirit, he allows for a tiny possibility that the words have their source in the subconscious of the living mediums. However, he seems pretty convinced that this is the real deal, writing that authentic mediums might well be the closest thing to the voice of God that our planet has. I can't think of a better note to conclude this episode on, so that'll wrap up another virtual meeting of the Afterlife Explorers Book Club. If you'd like to explore more works by Dr. Stafford Betty or other books I mentioned in this episode, make sure you check the show notes for some recommendations. So thank you all for your time and attention, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Bye for now, Afterlife Explorers. Mm -hmm.